Again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 202. Today on our show, Paul Denner from The Athletic. So when we did, I could not resist. I said, Mike, I, I heard a rumor that you flew Frontier out here. And he certainly did. And he went on this long thing about how he's so mad, how there were no direct flights from Cincinnati to Phoenix outside of Frontier. So he took Frontier because he wanted to have a direct flight. Had a meeting where the owners literally just line up the, all their black SUVs. Paul is the Bengals beat writer for The Athletic, and he joins us to talk about the current Bengals team and the current season, the team historically, how the team is perceived league-wide, and a whole lot more. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, be sure to uh, support us via Venmo or PayPal. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and ship in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Before we get to Paul, I'm going to tell you that it has been, as you can imagine, an insanely busy week at Cincy Shirts and our sibling site, Old School Shirts. In fact, after I'm done recording this, I'm headed to the warehouse to help get those last-minute packages into the mail. It's all hands on deck. So, to that end, this episode may not be edited as well as previous episodes. You may get some more ums and ahs and pauses and things like that in there, but it's a timely episode because we're near the end of the Bengals season. We spoke to Paul uh, before the Denver game, but after the game before that, which was, was that the Ravens they beat? Whoever they beat before, whoever they lost, the Chargers game, I believe it was. Anyway, but it's I, since it's a timely episode, I wanted to get it up next, uh, as opposed to going to the next episode we have in the can. So that's the explanation there. And it's a great chat we have with Paul, by the way. If you're a Bengals fan, you want to stay tuned. Let's talk to Paul Denner about the Bengals. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-E-T-I-Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at Cincy Shirts.com in Cincinnati. And, uh, well, uh, thanks for doing this. I re- we really appreciate it. We're, uh... We're big football fans. Yeah, no problem. And uh, like I said, it's all hands on deck here at the warehouse. We're trying to squeeze this one in uh, real quick so we can get it out to the folks. Um, it, it's been a weird year, in the not only for the Bengals, but really for, I would say, the NFL in general, particularly the AFC, which you know I follow more closely, of course, because of the my team, the Browns, and my second team, the Bengals. Uh, it, it, do you recall a season being this kind of odd? This, they always say there's parity, but... This time, I really think they mean it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I think they always have different feels to them. And I think this year has just been more about the bloated middle. You know, I mean, I just feel like you, you just have more teams that have kind of had warts at one point in time or the other. It's like you every I've never the only thing that I that has been new is that I just never feel like we felt where Every time you were ready to sort of crown a team, uh, they would immediately just be slammed back down to earth, sometimes in unrecoverable fashion. And it's like over and over and over again where you're just trying to ask who's good. But now as we get into the very end 
I do think you're starting to see some cream rise to the top a little bit. That middle's still there, uh, but you do, you know, now it's, and it's like, of course, the same cast of characters, right? It's, it's the Chiefs now yep. and it's the yep. Patriots, and it's like, oh, are we really going to be doing that again? I was going to say, it seems like the Chiefs and the Patriots finally got it sorted, even though they got off to a rough start. But they seem to have settled where, uh, you know, again, following the Browns more closely than the Bengals, but following both, it seemed like people were saying in Cleveland, well, the, the Browns are not going to be able to get it together because all the teams around them they've lost to, number one. And number two, the Browns just can't seem to get things sorted. But now it seems to be the problem with all of those teams. Buffalo is another great example. They were started off great, and now they're a mess. Yeah, you know, and, and I think there's been a little bit of schedule magic for some teams where, you know, Buffalo had that advantage earlier where they you could take advantage of some weak schedules because there are some horrific teams, huh. you know, and Buffalo had that advantage, particularly Miami was playing terrible. They got them. The Jets, That's true. Jaguars, Texas. Like there's a lot of – and they really didn't have – I feel like the Bills didn't really have much of a, a, a really big win. I mean they lost to the Steelers in week one. And and then you say, okay, well, let's see what they do against some of the better teams. And they haven't fared well. They've looked soft at times. And so I, I just think some teams have taken advantage. And then all of a sudden you see them play the harder parts of the schedule and it shows up. You could say the same thing about the Bengals, right? I mean, they, they've taken advantage of a bad Steelers team. They had the Jaguars. They had the Lions and racked up some wins that way. And now – sort of judgment day has come upon them these last five, six weeks as they are playing all the real teams and those that are right there in the mix of the playoffs somewhere. And you, you learn where they're at. Yeah. And uh, right now they haven't been quite good enough. So let's back up a little bit here. Are you from Cincinnati originally? I am. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I grew up here. I grew up in the Northern suburbs. So what high school? Well, uh, Moeller. Moeller. There you go. All right. Just down the street from the comedy club. Um, yeah. So yeah. All right. And, were you always interested in sports journalism or were you, did you have another career path in mind and uh, how did all that shake out? Yeah, I, I did uh, actually. I mean, I, I think, uh, I think somewhere, somewhere maybe in my, in my parents' basement, they have a yearbook of me in like sixth grade talking about how I wanted to be a journalist and be a sports writer. And, and I, I've always kind of had that, that path in mind now. I was cut from four sports my freshman year at Moeller, which sort of shoved that path of being a writer to the forefront. Huh. Uh, I really thought that maybe I could be an actual high school athlete, and then it turns out I was uh, that was not going to be the case. Um, I don't know if I hold the record for most sports cut from in one year, but um, I can't imagine many people have more than four, so I'm proud of that. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I once I got into Ohio University um, – you know, that was it was into their journalism school. It kind of became uh, a pretty clear path for me that this is what I always what I wanted to do. And I always wanted to do it here. I mean, I grew up here and I do have, a, you know, I always had a passion for Cincinnati sports and wanted to move back here. And I, I lived all over the place, but I always sort of had the idea of the dream being covering sports, writing uh, or doing TV or whatever in in this city, and I've been lucky enough, man, really lucky to to be back here and being able to do it now for about a decade. So, what was your concentration? Was it print? Was it digital? Was it broadcast? Yeah, I actually was a broadcast person, um, and thought that's what I was going to do. And then I sent out my 
you know, tapes that were not very good <laughs> and people treated them as such. <laughs> so I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I never, it never quite caught on for me that way, but also like my last year, um, at Ohio university, I took a class with a guy named justice Hill who had written, uh, from LB.com and a lot, you know, uh, he was covering the Indians and he had been a sports editor and he taught a sports writing class and it reconnected me with sports writing, which I hadn't always done. And so, um, it, it, through that, and I've stayed in touch with him. He's kind of my mentor. I've stayed in touch with him ever since it kind of got me wanting to go back down that path again. It was just a matter of somebody giving me a job to do so so i <laughs> i finally after a year of doing the drive of shame back home to live with my parents for a while while i tried to find that first job um i bartended at night and freelanced and did everything i could do and finally i got a, i got a job in rural arkansas covering uh just about anything that could go on in rural arkansas which is not much um and i was i was 26 minutes and 32 second drive from the closest place to get alcohol because it was a dry <laughs> county that ah. I lived in. Uh, not that I ever did that drive. Huh. So, but you, were you covering sports there or were you a journal, uh, reporter in general? Yeah. I was in sports. Yeah. So, I, they had a local Division II college, Harding University, and had, you know, a, a big high school. Okay. Um, amongst all those, but it was right. Yeah. I mean, it was about 45 minutes North east of little rock, which is how everything in Arkansas is, is judged by where, how far you are from little rock. <laughs> I was going to say, so how are high school sports in Arkansas, particularly football? Cause I know, you know, Texas, obviously Friday night lights and, and I guess Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, still really big. Uh, is it a huge deal there as well? Are they more basketball? What's kind of the, the vibe there? Oh yeah, it's a huge deal there. It's definitely. I mean, that's it's definitely SEC country. They don't. Oh, they don't yeah. hide it at all. Okay. I was I was there for I was there for about nine one football season, uh, and I did a little bit of fun on University of Arkansas Razorbacks at that point. Just small things of covering local guys and stuff. But yeah, oh yeah, it's it is deep. You are deep in SEC country there. And Dennis Miller used to have a joke uh, in his old old stand-up set. He said he did a tour of the Deep South, and he said, I found these people to be anything but deep, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, So where'd you go from there? You see, you were only there a short time. Uh, you moved up quickly, I guess? Yeah, I went. So that was actually, that place was one of the centers of the world for the Church of Christ was really popular in, in, in Arkansas, where I was at. Um, and it was it, it very, very Bible Belt. Well, I went to the exact opposite of that next. I spent two and a half years in Key West, Florida, um, oh. in maybe one of the wildest places on earth, uh, and loved every second of it. I worked for the newspaper down there covering sports, which there are sports in Key West. I was going to say. Or not. Yeah. Um, it, it was actually really cool. I mean, mostly, I mean, the, the center of it is – their high school baseball is like the Green Bay Packers. I mean, they they are eleven. That one of the last I heard, they are still eleven now, time state champions in Florida. Wow. Which in baseball in the state of Florida, as you might imagine, is no joke. And for a public school on a two by four mile island to have won the Florida state title eleven times shows you what kind of talent they get down there. It's very they have these deep 
Cuban roots. Oh. And so you have all these great players and um, it's, it's really cool when they have a pretty cool venue. So I, high school baseball was a really big deal there. Uh, but it, it was a lot of outdoor sports. Like I would write up fishing reports every day, talking to fishing captains and they'd have powerboat racing and fishing tournaments and all kinds of different outdoor stuff was very, it was very cool. Um, and, and different and just an incredible place to live. I'm still very partial to it as one of the, one of the best places, uh, on our planet. So why'd you leave? That sounds like the dream. It's <laughs> a good question. I ask myself that every day. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, I, well, for the reasons I said at the beginning, I mean, I, I always, I knew at some point everyone comes to this decision when they live in QS and particularly they had, if you have a kind of a, a semi-professional job in QS, like, like I did, because uh, as you might imagine, most people who live down there are, uh, are in tourism industry in some way, shape or form, hospitality, or young people just bouncing around at working for the newspaper was great. I mean, it was like a real consistent gig and it wasn't reliant on anything. It's that was, that was nice, but everybody that works there had to come to a certain point in time where you say, all right, I either am going to have aspirations in life or I'm just going to say, I'm cool, ride this. And I'm just going to stay here and just kind of live this life to the end of time. And there are people, and I'm jealous of them, that stay there and live that life and are, and are on island time. And, and it's awesome. Uh, but I kind of I – ne- I, ne- I never could quite commit that way. So – I, uh, I had to, I kind of had to try to jumpstart the career and try to really do the thing. So I, next I went to, um, Georgia and for, I worked there for a couple of years in Southwest Georgia and I heard, uh, University of Georgia football. And, um, so a good step for me career wise. And I did a lot of high school football stuff too, which is a huge deal. And so it was, um, that was, a, that was a, that was a good step for me. It sounds like them dogs is huge. Yeah, that's uh, that was my first real taste of what it's like to cover, you know, and be around SEC culture and like the recruiting culture and just the, the how much they 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 live for it. I mean, at one point, like I was called in to do a breaking news story because the current Uga had died, their dog. <laughs> that they always have their bulldog that they have on the sideline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it happens obviously however long. They're in like the this is like Ugga 12 or something. And it was like front page news. I mean, this was like a big deal. And people wrote stories on the lineage and who's going to come next and which dog are they going to pick. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> crazy this is, this is this is insane but that was just kind of uh that was kind of the life down there but no I, I i was in southwest georgia so it was like a two hour two two and a half hour drive up to athens so i did that drive a bunch to go actually do stuff on on uga but where i was at was not a place i recommend anybody going to in uh, albany georgia as they pronounce I've, it. I've heard of albany georgia uh, down there huh. yes it's uh it's quite a place there's actually a place and one of my favorite thing about that is they are below if people don't know about this it's called the nat line uh, down in georgia and just south of atlanta everything south of this line in particular in the summer there are millions of gnats oh. like you've never seen before all day, every day. Like you walk outside 
and there's gnats in your eyes and your nose. I mean, just you're just inundated with them. It's it's truly awful. In Camilla, Georgia, which is not far from Albany, uh, they actually have a gnat festival where they like celebrate these damn things and they they crown a gnat queen. <laughs> I mean, it, it's 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 unbelievable. And so I I try. I don't recommend going down in the summer, but you always could tell, you know, people that are from there, they're used to it. They just have gnats on their face and don't care. They don't try to swat them. <laughs> they don't like, they're just used to it. And so you'll be sitting there. I'd be sitting there interviewing a coach. I have my recorder out with one hand and I'm swatting everything on my face and with the other. And he'd be like, well, I guess you're not from around here. You seem to be disturbed those gnats. I'm like, how are you not? They're in their eyeballs. You know, I mean, so it was uh, it was a crazy uh, that was a uh, fairly insane place too so to with, live, but I'm happy I did it. <laughs> so with UGA, because uh, you were kind of outside of Atlanta, so maybe uh, you, you don't have a great answer for this, but it that seems like one of those cases where the college team is almost more popular than the NFL team. I think Miami might be another case where that's sometimes. Although when the Dolphins are really good, I guess it wasn't the case. But, but who is more popular? Because always it seems to me anecdotally, I see more people passionate about them dogs than about them falcons oh absolutely yeah there is no doubt i mean that is college football country um it is a hundred percent i mean people like the falcons and that's fine but uh it's nothing like it's nothing like georgia those places are always going to be um it's always going to be like that down there there's you there's far much more passion for for college football and and the Georgia Bulldogs than than anything really, yeah, it's like I was down in uh, New Orleans. We went down for my daughter's. I think it was her 18th birthday. She wanted to spend down there. Wandered into. She wanted to get her first drink, her first legal drink on Bourbon Street. We went to this hotel just off Bourbon Street, and there was a little tiny sports bar in the hotel lobby. There's a bunch of Georgia fans watching them dogs. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's not just there. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So they travel well, I guess. Um, so where'd you go from Albany? That's when I came back home. So I, so I, uh, I kind of reached a point where it was like, you know, the the newspaper industry, as many might be aware, are is uh, not super. And so uh, I always used to laugh because every year the the ranking of the like top two hundred industries for now and into the future, they would always rank them all. And uh, it was always a matter of if journalism was going to be, newspapers was going to be 200 or it was going to hop in front of Lumberjack, <laughs> which was always also in the back. It was like a jockeying for positions. Like, did we beat Lumberjack this year? Uh, so uh, it was still, it was about 200. And the, the old idea, the old model that you would move from a small newspaper to a bit bigger one you know, middle size and then into your major metro mm -hmm. was sort of disappearing. Like it was just not really a thing anymore. And I felt very much stuck in the middle as that had disappeared around me and not knowing how to get out and not super happy, just felt kind of stuck and like I'd done anything I could do in Georgia. And so I knew that it was kind of now or never time to do this or else I'm going to have to go be an accountant or something, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, well, I guess I came across a thing where my now now good friend, a guy I didn't know at the time, uh, C. Trent Rosecrans, who had covered the Reds for the Post, had started, I think had been let go 
or they did cuts of some sort at iHeart Media, which Clear Channel, where he was doing stuff, and started his own to do it yourself journalism Cincinnati sports website. Was doing it himself. He had gotten some like fundraising essentially to get it started and to cover the Reds, which he had done, and was kind of taking on freelancers. I reached out to him. And it was not going to be a paying thing. Like he didn't have money to pay people. But for me, I felt like I was good enough. Um, I just needed to get into the market I wanted to work in. So I took a chance. He told me not to. (laughs) And I moved back here and basically got odd jobs doing whatever to make ends meet and wrote for free for cnatty.com which was what he the site that he started just to get in the network here to get my stuff out and get connected with the right people and it worked because uh let's see that was 2010 basically fast forward three years and i'm covering the Bengals for Cincinnati inquirer so like you know i co- i did stuff for gobearcats.com um, which was a great gig for me at the time, doing UC football and basketball for their team site and got latched on with CBS Sports for a while and stuff for them on the Bengals and the Bearcats. And that's, that was great because it got me in the door at the Bengals. And then I actually was kind of my big gig with CBS and I – they cut their program for what they were doing, this program called Rapid Reporters. It was stupid. It was like Twitter before Twitter or something. They didn't know what they wanted it to be. It was poorly managed. And they cut the NFL program the day before the Bengals were playing a playoff game uh, in 2012. I remember thinking, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm not doing anything about this game then. It's just over. Like you get, you're in the season, you're in this grind all year, and it's the playoff. And you're just your jobs. They took they got they took it away. It was just so weird. Uh, but but after that happened, I was lucky that an opening came open to work with uh, Joe Reedy, uh, who was doing it with Inquirer, and I sort of was his right hand man as a freelance sidekick for a season. And then he left, and they gave me the the main job the next year. And I covered the Bengals for the Inquirer from fourteen until. 2019 when I moved over to the athletic and I, but I've been covering the Bengals essentially in some capacity ever since, you know, I've been down there for over 10 years, but it's really hardcore to full travel type deal since 2013. Okay. So you would, uh, you, you probably have more insight than, uh, than the average bear, I guess, uh, on the Bengals. Cause it, you know, as an outsider, um, I still kind of consider myself, at least when it comes to footballs, I can look at the Bengals, I think a little more objectively as a Browns fan, and then I think people, and then vice versa. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have a, a very objective view of the Browns, certainly after being at it since 1976. Uh, so do you think a lot of, I guess, generally speaking, the knock on the Bengals is deserved as far as them, you know, they're being cheap. They don't make the right moves. They hang on, they hang on to bad players and coaches too long. Do you think, or do you think it's just that it's like that everywhere? And it's you know just, there's those few teams that just know how to run business like the Patriots and the Steelers. Uh, I well, I think some of it is certainly based in truth. Um, I think every team probably feels there are false narratives about them that exist that are these stereotypes that they can't shake. So in that way, I think that those are out there. But I don't know. I don't think many have those 
have the cheapness narrative like the Bengals do. I think some of it's deserved. I do think there are spots where you see it show up. I do think they view the the game and the football, professional football industry differently than most owners do now. I mean, they're old. They are old school family football, and that's all that matters. And they are surrounded now in the league by owners that are moguls that own multiple teams that own Home Depot that, you know, have oil industry like Stan Kroenke. And I mean, it's like, that's Jerry Jones. I mean, that's, that's who is entering the mix now as more different owners take over. Well, they're not old school made their money in football. Yeah. (laughs) And, and there's like the Rooney's there's the Browns. I mean, there, there's about six or seven families left. Um, there, there's just not many. And so they view things differently. And I, <laughs> that's what makes them stand out even more because even amongst that group, um, you know, they certainly do view things differently. I don't think, I, I think the cheapness thing is, I don't know, it's a complicated thing because it exists more to me in their, in their off-field non-football operation where they're just not going to spend they – they never have really seen much of the value of anything that isn't the football team. And so in football, they've spent just fine. They've spent differently. They haven't exactly – they would never have been big like free agent people. So people thought they were cheap there. But it was just a philosophy of draft, develop, and retain, a similar one that the Steelers use sure. and a lot of their teams use. And, and, they, they, and they took slack for that. Um, but they weren't necessarily being cheap. They were still spending. They were just investing in their own guys. So I think that narrative on, as it being cheaper in terms of direct football is untrue. But in terms of you know, caring at all about – marketing and bells and whistles and all the stuff that the reds maybe care more about um you know they just weren't really interested in it so they didn't really spend in it and that was probably more where the cheap label belongs if that if that long rant makes any sense it it does i growing up i never really got that impression of the Bengals, and of course Bengals adjacent being in the same division uh, you know for all these years and years until I got down here, and then I started to kind of hear more about it. But to me, the Bengals were pretty successful because they went to two Super Bowls, and the Browns didn't go to any. So they had to be doing something, right? <laughs> That's what I figured. Yeah, I mean, the 90s just changed everything. I mean, well, yeah. And then it's like, well, when, when Paul Brown passed, it, and Mike, Mike became that face of all of those things because the 90s were a disaster and they made a million wrong moves and and they had bad facilities and everything else and then the the stadium deal and and all of that compounded a hole that he was just never going to come back from or the organization was really going to be able to truly come back from as far as stereotypes built and solidified it was just uh it was just it, the the hole was too deep. So, for that fact, I mean they've they've done a better. If you really just look at them as a franchise in the last ten fifteen years, um, they've been more on par with most teams in regards to most things. Um, they're slow to come around on a lot because that's who they are. Um, <laughs> but they're always going to be a step behind in that way. 
But as on the field, they've been fine. You know, they've been fine. They just haven't obviously won that playoff game and that sticks in the craw of just about everyone that's associated with the team or, or cares about it or likes to make fun of it. Yeah, uh, true. But like I said, they're, they're old-timey football, like, you know, the Maras or, you know, or I can't think of any. Or the, the Hallises still even own the uh, – the Bidwells still own the Cardinals. I know that. Um, yeah. Do the yep. Hall- the Hallis yep. don't own the yep. Bears anymore, do they? Or or do is they still involved? I don't even know that. Oh, uh, it's in, they, it's still in the family. It's okay. still it's still in the same it's still still family ownership. McCaskey is the owner. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right, that's right. Oh that's right. Yeah, they she married into it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And then the Fords up in Detroit, and of course that's going even worse mm-hmm. though. <laughs> it could be worse, kids. So um I used to write for the Gary Burbank show and we did a show called All My Bengals. I don't know if you remember that. And I met Mike. Oh yeah. I met Mike Brown I, once. I, not only do I not only do I remember it, I referenced it and wrote about it about two years ago. Really? During the middle of the 2019 season. Yes. And there was a there was just a million. It was every day was a new crazy drama that was going <laughs> on. And so I had this whole story about the drama, and I found an old clip of all my Bengals and made sure to embed it. Into the story, and t- I, I, I oh, remember nice. it all very, very clearly. Absolutely. Hmm. I have to look that up. I wonder if it was one of the bits that because we, we, what we would do is every you know Sunday night, uh, it mostly came down to being me and two other guys end up getting most of the stuff. And Duke, Duke wrote a lot for it as well. Uh, you'd write all these different little bits, and then Monday morning Gary would go through them and decide which ones were going to get recorded, and they just make this big hodgepodge of all my Bengals and. And there you had it. And um, I used to work at the airport as well. And I was giving someone a break one time and, uh, in Terminal 2. And the team plane was leaving and Mike Brown rolls in. And I asked him about Art Modell first because I was dying to know about that. And I almost asked him what he thought about all my Bengals, but I chickened out. <laughs> <laughs> I know the, best, uh, the best Mike Brown uh, flight story was I went out to the – winter the or not the winter meetings but the uh the spring owners meetings which were in arizona and i hadn't gotten out there yet i tweeted about it or something and somebody tweeted at me and they said god is my witness i just saw mike brown come off the frontier flight out here (laughs) and and i said get out of here so i when i went there we at the end of every owner's meetings we get we do a sit down with mike and talk about what happened state of the team yada 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 so when we did i could not resist i said mike i i heard heard a rumor that you flew frontier out here and he certainly did and he went on this long thing about how he's so mad how there were no direct flights from cincinnati to phoenix outside of frontier so he took frontier because he wanted to have a direct flight hmm. this at a at a meeting where the owners literally just line up the, all their black SUVs as soon as it ends to take their you know yeah, yeah. chartered planes back to wherever <laughs> they're from because you know they're in the nfl and mike's like ah the only direct i could find was that damn frontier i mean we've all been through this sure. like i we've all been like am i gonna take the damn allegiant flight Ugh. but you do it because it's where we're at but the idea of doing that when you're an nfl owner is just sort of who mike is like it just never would occur to him that he would you know charter a plane or whatever boomer size and i think it was told a story 
about how they went, they went to the combine one year. And like you just said, all these owners have got, got their big, long stretch SUV limos. And here come the Bengal staff tooling around in this little sedan uh, from Hertz or something. And, yeah. uh, and, but I guess, I guess that attitude has changed a little bit over the years now. I mean, are you seeing it's, it's changed a little bit, right? Uh, yes and no. I'm, I still, I think they still have a core belief that all this, you, you don't need this many people to put together a football team. You know, I think that still does exist a little bit. Like they like the idea of their coaches being involved in the scouting, which most teams have done away with. They feel like there's a synergy that exists with that. So they get knocked for their small scouting staff, which is not nearly as small as it used to be. Um, but still, it is one of the clearly one of the smallest in the league. Um, but they feel like they don't, you know, the, when I talk to them about it, they say, well, we don't really need more voices. We just need the right voices. And when you feel like you have the right voices, you, we don't need more noise in the room. And, and that's fine. That's their philosophy. And when they're drafting well, like they have the last three years or so, no one cares. When they have bad drafts, everyone points to a small scouting staff. And I think – you know, that's kind of the way it goes with anything in life. When it's going good, nobody cares. When it's going bad, everybody points out your faults. And that's fine. And, you know, you get to, like, the analytics side of things. They have, like, they have one guy. His name's Sam. And, uh, and, he's on, and then some people have 13, right? But are they further? Uh, what is the real advantage that other teams are gaining from that? Is it significant? Um, you know, they would probably debate some of that. And so there's areas where you'll see that that stuff does show up and it's still there is still sort of a sameness to it where they feel like they know how to put a good football team out there or to construct one. Um, you know, I don't know if that's right or wrong, though. The uh, Reds, I guess, dealt with that for a number of years and have kind of escaped that a little bit. I'm, I am almost certain it was Bronson Arroyo who was on, who had been other places and he said when he came back to Cincinnati they'd really kind of turned things or they were more on par as far as like game day amenities and things like that that they'd really caught up to the other teams which I guess in baseball is more difficult because baseball is still more of a market thing where in the NFL it doesn't seem to be as market driven or or is it do teams like Los Angeles and Chicago and bigger cities have an advantage over the Clevelands and the Minnesotas and the Cincinnati's of the league or Indianapolis for that matter. Uh, yeah, not, I mean, not as much as baseball. I mean, baseball is so market driven. I mean, with the revenue sharing, the way NFL is set up and the parity, and the way the draft goes and the importance of the draft, um, you know, small markets will always get their chance. Um, so I, it's, you know, the Bengals are a perfect example right now. Like you, you stink bad enough and you get handed Joe Burrow. Like, yeah. There's always a chance to turn it around, and whereas that doesn't really exist in Major League Baseball at all, and so um, it's it's less of a deal. There's always a chance for you to rise back up in the NFL. Well, as they say, on, on any given Sunday, and like we were saying at the beginning of the conversation, it certainly seems to be the case this year. As far as the Bengals go for this season. What are you kind of seeing as the strengths and what are you kind of seeing that they need to work on in order to kind of get over the hump around these other seven and six, eight and five teams where we're at right now, the day of this recording, to make it into the postseason? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I, I think that they've they've got to find a way to just protect a little bit better, which is the same thing we thought would be their weakness coming into this season. I mean, it's, it's showed itself. I mean, they just, they're wary 
to drop back and throw it a ton for because they don't want to get Joe beat up. And so they have kind of tried to settle into game plans where and it's been and it's worked when they've gotten the run game going. But it's been great. They can they can hand off to Joe Mixon, you can carry the load, they can take it so you're not constantly putting Joe Burrow into third and pass situations where everybody in the building knows what's happening and everybody in the building knows the talent level of your offensive line. And so they just want to keep him healthy and keep him upright and not put him in too many of those bad situations. And, and when you have to play that way, at some point you're going to have to drop back to throw it in. And, and until you protect him consistently, you can't truly take full advantage of how good he is. And when you give him a clean pocket and you give him opportunities like that, he, he will dice people up and has, but they, you know, it's a constant struggle. I think that they face from week to week of how can we mitigate some of the risk here of the guys that are in front of them. And so that's a big part of it. And, you know, defensively, I, you know, they have issues at, at linebackers still, but their de- their defense has really been surprisingly good this year. And uh, I don't think anybody thought it would be as good as it has been. And they hit big time on all their free agent signings. So they're set up nice going into the future. I mean, they're ahead of schedule right now for what you probably thought they would be. And they're a team that is built to be best next year and the year after that. Um, as you have these young weapons, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon and Joe Burrow are all signed for multiple years. I mean, they're all going to continue to grow together and get better together. Your defense has all been signed for a couple of years, all your major parts. And you have money to spend in free agency and you've piled up some draft picks that you're going to take it next year as well. And you can see how it can grow from good to great. That, you know, the, 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 the arc is there. It's just a matter of, Will they start on that arc over the next month when they play these big games? Or will they prove to be a team that does need another another offseason, another cycle of players to kind of take them to the next level? So you think Burrow's the real deal? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's great. I mean, and I don't, you know, he's, it's not, he's not going to go out there and wow people with his physical tools. He's perfect for Cincinnati because he's just an incredible leader like he he knows how to make everybody believe and he has this way of rising up in the biggest moments in the biggest stages over and over again and everybody always feels like they have a chance to win that they'll come back with him on their team and when and he just he has this way about i've never heard i've never been around a team or people that talk about one player like they do about Burrow and, and it's, it's just, it's, it's unique to him. And uh, it's, it's kind of what makes the whole team go now at this point. And so as of like physical quarterback, I mean, it's not, he's not Justin Herbert out here throwing 65 yard bombs and he's not, you know, some of these other, he's not Lamar Jackson with the running around all over the place, but his mental ability to, see what's going on, process it, dissect it, be accurate in the important levels, those intermediate levels, and rally everybody around and really have this something about him in the big moments is unique to him and one of the best in the league. People have compared him to – talked about Joe Montana that way, you know, where it's like that ability to always make – always rise up, stay cool, and, and make the plays. And, and no, no one is going out there and wowed by Joe Montana's physical ability, but his ability to play the game of quarterback 
to understand how to make people believe and to go out there and execute it with everything on the line over and over again. Um, you see why those comparisons exist. I was going to say, you just never know with these guys that do real well in college. I mean, when Burrow was being talked about being drafted by the Bengals, you know, immediately you're thinking, is he going to be Andrew Luck or is he going to be Brady Quinn? And rooting for a team that's gone through a lot of quarterbacks, I was a little skeptical at first. But again, speaking objectively, as soon as I saw him, even in the preseason, I was like, well, this is looking pretty good. And then when he got out on the field as a rookie, he did really, really well. And he lost half the season to injury. So really, this, he's still kind of in his rookie season. And yes, he's got a lot of picks. But I think that's going to go away pretty soon, especially with, the, like you said, the tools he has. And they you know, keep him upright. I think we're, you guys are in really good shape. Yeah, I mean, when in this league, if you have a real quarterback um, and you hang on to him and pay him, you're going to be in the mix every year. And eventually, something it's going to break your way. I mean, it happens. I mean, even the best quarterbacks that we've seen in this league, the best situations we've seen in this league, you know, Aaron Rodgers has one title. You know what I mean? Drew Brees has one title. Uh, Tom Brady is a unicorn. It, it's you, you hope that you can be around enough uh, that eventually you get the breaks and it falls your way and you put the run together and win that title. Um, and when you have the quarterback that can be around for 10 to 15 years, eventually the breaks will go your way and you'll probably get that, you'll get that one and you'll be in the mix the rest of the years. And that's all you can really ask for because football is just so year to year with injuries and, and the dynamics of the league and schedule and, whatever there's just so many things that change things every year that take you out of it um that you just need to have somebody that keeps you in the mix every year and, the, and that's the quarterback if you don't have one as a browns fan you're aware you are screwed till you do yep and uh if you, if you do have one uh you're gonna be sitting pretty and, and just wondering if the, you get the mix this year yeah that's the thing although you know then you got to worry about injuries, like you said, the dynamics of the league can change over here. This was supposed to be our year, and it's not really going very well. And to that end, what do you think is really the best path for the Bengals into the playoffs, the most realistic path? I mean, Baltimore hasn't played great. They've been beatable. Bengals beat them, certainly. Uh, or are the Bengals more of a solid wild card if they can just fix a few problems? How do you th- see them getting into the postseason? I think the North is the best route for them because it's where they've played best. It's what's on their schedule. I mean, I, I think I could make an argument regardless of what happens in the other two games. If they beat the Browns and the Ravens and finish the season nine and eight, that's pro- that might be enough. That might be enough. I mean, because the you know you you would then you'd have the tiebreaker with the Ravens. Yep. Who still have to play the Rams and they have the Packers, and then if you beat them. They're, you're, I mean, they're, they've got a game with the Steelers to try to get tonight. They, so, I mean, you've got, you've got a chance to put yourself in the driver's seat and beat Cleveland at the end, potentially, for the division. Um, so I, I, those are the two games, and, and they've played great. I mean, they've blown out the Steelers twice. They blew out the Ravens, and then the Browns came down here and stuck it to them. They're going to have to figure out a way to, to fix that. But, I mean, if you can – it was, the title was always going to come through division. I think it's the most attainable because there's some good wild card teams. Somebody's going to rise up there. There's so many of them, but the North is just feels like a bunch of 
meh right now. I, you could almost make an argument Cleveland's the favorite when you consider that they might be starting to finally get it back together because they've always had what's felt like the most talent. It's just been a matter of like, can they get everything back on the right track and have parents stop posting things on social media about <laughs> players and Baker Mayfield? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I think the defense is going to be what's going to keep the Browns in it. The offense is a mess. And uh, what else was I going to say about the, uh, the, the the wild cards? Oh, yeah, like we were saying, it's you know it's a matter of who can. It's good that a lot of these other teams around them are ha- suffering the same problems and the same ills. I guess it'll just be a matter of who can figure it out first and figure it out best. Yeah, at, at some point you got to win a big game. You know? Oh, and that's kind of been the problem the last two weeks for the Bengals. They put themselves right in position. They've done dumb junk to get themselves uh, in, into losses again against good teams. And they've, it's not like they're not right there. It's not like they don't have, don't have the talent to do it. They've just done dumb things, and it has cost them some really big wins. At some point, you have to go win these big games and make those plays at the end of games to finish them off. And I guess with experience, that stuff will settle itself down too. Because I think, you know, I used to just growing up as a kid, all the, the, these teams have been to the postseason or these teams have played in big games. And I think, oh, is that, I mean, they're, they're professional ball players. How much does that really matter? But then I realized later on, oh, yeah, it does really matter a lot. You know, late season and postseason games are a lot different than early season games. And you've got to know what to do and when to do it. So that does make a lot of sense. It isn't just a bunch of hyperbole that, you know, that sports writers come up with. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you have to know how to win games. I think they feel like even though they have a lot of players maybe that haven't or this place has not, when they went out in free agency, it was a trait they looked for. They wanted players on teams that had won. When they drafted, they like players on teams that won championships, that, that were in the big games, that played well in the big games. They felt like that was going to be part of who they needed to be. So when they went to free agency and they got guys from the Saints and they got – DJ Reader, who played in playoff games with Houston, and they, you know, they they did that when they got Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. They played at Clemson and LSU, and Jamar Chase played at LSU, and and, and they they targeted that with some of their, you know, Alabama, Jonah Williams, their left tackle was Zach Taylor's first ever pick. I mean, they targeted that because they wanted guys that knew how to play on big stages and win big games and understand the importance of how to do that. And so they've tried to build that, but will doesn't mean that they're going to be able to execute it. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier, you got to be able to keep your cool and keep your head about you, uh, I guess, especially in those those late season games. No, no doubt, they've done a pretty good job of it this year, um, as far as not losing their cool and and being staying disciplined and and not looking like crazy people. Uh, and a lot of that is is Taburo, who's kind of sets that tone for them specifically offensively. Yeah, I was thinking, how great would will it be if that last game against Cleveland is meaningful for both teams? Well, a Cleveland-Cincinnati game that actually means something, uh, means a lot, and which we haven't had for years and years, because it always seems like the the rivalry has been a bit lopsided in one direction or the other over the years, as opposed, I guess the only time it was really even was in the 80s. Uh, it seemed like we won the division one year, the Bengals won the division one year. It would go back and forth like that, but it'd be nice to, for it to have you know meaning again to be the two top teams in the division. Yeah, it really has. I mean, you would have to go. I think I their first game this year I wrote about it, and it was like the first time they both had winning records at that point playing each other. It was like maybe they two or three times since the 80s. And uh, Cincinnati and Cleveland has always been a great rivalry when it can be. Like those that remember those days uh, um, remembers how – how fun it is and how fun it can be. And so, yeah, it would be, if that happened again, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. It's always been a strange rivalry to me 
because growing up as a kid, the only reason we didn't like the Bengals is because they were in our division. I mean, we felt the same way about the Oilers, who, you know, were all the way down in Texas. And, uh, but when I got here, I was so surprised at how hated the Browns were because of Browns week was always a big thing. And up in Cleveland, Bengal week wasn't a thing. It was just a division game. It was important. That was the end of it. But down here, man, it really meant a lot until the move to Baltimore. And then I think a lot of that went away. And then we had a common enemy. <laughs> and I think that really kind of diluted the rivalry in a way. But it'd be nice to see it, you know, be, really become the battle of Ohio again and something that people are, are passionate about statewide. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Let's bring yep. it back. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And again, we we both hate the Ravens. We both hate the Steelers. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, any sports, other sports you are covering besides football that you would like or would like to cover that are still passionate about, or is football the thing? I I have really uh, kind of fallen in love with football a little bit again, covering it these last few years, and, and I love the direction that it's headed. And it's just a, it's just a fun game to. I mean, I I would be happy covering football. Uh, the rest of my career, I, I, you know, there, there's nothing that I necessarily like have an eye on that I've always wanted to do or anything. I, I think, you know, whether if like writing about golf or something like that could be cool. Cause I've never done it. And those big events feel so big and, and, uh, there's cool personalities there. Um, but it's like, I, I, I guess I just get pretty comfortable i've i've done i've i've certainly dabbled in other stuff and any good story i'm more i like jumping in, into um i'm always going to enjoy that but i i think you know for me uh i i enjoy the nfl i like the i like the way it operates i i like um the attention it has i you know i enjoy the storylines how many people are on the teams gives you a lot of different stories you can go to and people to meet and and understand and and, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's great. I, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to cover the NFL until, uh, until I walk away. That's cool. Yeah. It's, I mean, being 56 now, I've kind of lost my childlike enthusiasm for it. Cause that just happens. You get older and realize it's a business, but I mean, having a team that's winning again has helped me kind of revisit the NFL, which is good. But another thing I want to ask you real quick, being a football expert and pro football writer, is something to talk we were having here in the warehouse just a little while ago, and we had with a previous guest a couple of weeks ago. Spring football, what do you reckon? Is, could it be a thing? Could it be, even as a developmental thing? We're, what is the status of spring football? Because a guest we had on the show a couple of weeks ago said it's the great white whale of pro sports. Everybody thinks it can yeah. work, and it doesn't. But, yeah, I mean... We've seen a lot of people lose a lot of money trying to pull off spring football. Yeah, um, you know whether it was Alliance uh, XFL, which is now going to come back with The Rock heading yep. up, um, and they're going to give try to make another run at it. We saw, you know, t- the European League was a thing they tried to do for a while. Like everybody's understanding. Okay, people love college football. They love pro football. There's whole quantity of players who are household names but not good enough to play in the nfl and a dead space where people are always seeking this and i mean there's no doubt it is something that the league has felt like it has wanted to have forever and wouldn't mind having it but they also understand that like look the business model has to be found for it and it's just not there other than proven failures that they've laid waste to. And it takes so much money to start up something like that. 
um, the idea that it could just wash away. Because when the product's not great, it's not the product's not as good as the NFL. The tradition and connection to the teams is nowhere near what you have in college. That's what makes those two industries go. I mean, people aren't going to be playing fantasy football. I mean, maybe they are. But you can gamble on it. Yeah, uh, I was going to say. But, I mean, when you don't feel a real connection to it, it just becomes a passing fad that is nothing more than this gambling background. And that's fine. You can do okay with that. But I don't think it's ever going to – it just doesn't feel like it's ever going to be something sustainable um, in the long haul. And and that's kind of been proven because college football already is the minor leagues for the NFL. So you can't really create a new one. You're just creating like practice squad games and it's just not that as entertaining as people think it might be. Yeah, that's true. You look at the last couple attempts at having a rival league to the NFL – you know, we were talking in times when college football wasn't as massive as it was, and it's only gotten more and more massive. And a lot of the things that the uh, that the Canadian Football League discovered when it tried to come down to America and the World Football League discovered when it tried to alter its season so it started before the NFL and finished before the playoffs is that once you get to September and you have high school, and even high school football is a big competition, once you have high school and college football starting, no one cares. They pack them in July and August, College and high school startup. That's it. Crickets. So, yep. It's um. It's a shame though. Yeah. I would. I would, would mind me some spring football. I mean, you know, I love baseball, and we'll watch that first in the spring and summer, of course. But I don't mind watching a, a football game in the spring. I don't know. Yeah, it just, you just need a you know to to really make it work. You need a lot of people that want to watch football. In the exactly, spring. and there's not that it's many. It's hard of them. to put that. It's hard to put that into enough people's routines. Exactly. You know, out of thin air, essentially. Yeah, even if you like a guy from college who didn't quite make it to the NFL or whatever, there aren't enough of those, you know, to coalesce to have enough fan base for each team to do that for sure. Um, well, terrific. Paul, we really appreciate you joining us this week and uh, doing this. And like I said, I'm glad we waited to do this since we're at the really, at the really heavy time and uh, what is the hot time now in the league as we head toward the postseason and uh, an exciting time, certainly. Uh, the last order of business we have is that we let the guest pick our coupon code for the next week that customers can use either on our website or in our two brick and mortar stores. And it can be a single word or it can be a couple of word phrase. And people will use this to take 20% off their entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. So what would you like that phrase to be? Oh, man. Wow. I get to pick a phrase. Or it can be a single word if you want. Uh, how about how about we uh, how about we go with let's go with DCC, which stands for the Daner Cornhole Classic, which is my cornhole tournament that I throw every year. Okay, uh, for people to, for my friends to hang out. So that's what I'm going to do. The Daner Cornhole Classic DC. See, that's easy enough. Code. All right, that's easy enough to remember for everybody. Well, again, well, thanks for doing this and continued success with the athletic and with your NFL coverage in general. And uh, we'll hopefully talk you, to you again down the road. Absolutely, thanks for having All me right. on. Thanks, Paul. Bye bye. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Paul Denner, 
So again, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the show, simply email us podcast at cincyshirts.com. Put podcast guest in the subject line and maybe give us a few sentences about why you think that person would be a good guest. Find Paul on Twitter, Paul Denner. Denner is D-E-H-N-E-R. And there's a J-R after that as well for his Twitter handle, Paul Denner Jr. Uh, At Twitter, you just Google Paul Denner. It'll take you to his athletic stuff and all his other stuff as well. You can find all of his writings. And uh, we'll talk about his uh, the coupon code and his uh, charity in just a second. As after after I tell you that uh, if you haven't already to check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives, of course, especially this time of year, if you're traveling and you need something to listen to on the airplane or in the car, do check those out. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing, who are from Philadelphia. Find their music on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your music. And you can find vintage tees from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and tons more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Like Cincy Shirts, we have a big collection of mostly defunct sports teams, but also old malls, old restaurants, old TV personalities, TV stations, radio stations, rock clubs, all that sort of thing. Do check it out, and you can use the promo code DCC on both sites. DCC, simple as that. Dog, cat, cat, if that's more helpful for you. All lowercase, all uppercase. As always, that part does not matter, but you can use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or use it once on each site by the way. You can use it in our Cincy Shirt stores, of course, and over the Rhine and Hyde Park. And DCC refers to uh, Paul's Cornhole Tournament, which raises money for charity. You can find more about that online as well. At this point, I will advise you to follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye. I wish I said goodbye.